You're listening to the Homeschooling Families Podcast by Teach Them Diligently. Welcome. Every week, we bring you simple answers to help your homeschool family thrive. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. On today's podcast, we're going to be rethinking dyslexia with Dr. Rebecca Spencer. Dr. Spencer will help us better understand what dyslexia really is and how we can help our children overcome it. Many kiddos are dyslexic, yet they've never been diagnosed. This episode may be very eye-opening for you if you've wondered about your own child's struggles, so I hope you'll stay tuned. Before we dive into that conversation, I'd like to thank our partner for today's podcast, Heritage Defense. You may or may not already have legal protection for your right to homeschool, but what if a social worker knocked on your door and the allegation was not about homeschooling? Since 2010, Heritage Defense has been providing member families with 24-7 direct access to experienced Christian attorneys ready to protect your children and defend your parental rights. Membership with Heritage Defense also provides you an attorney beyond your initial call, including being with you for any meetings with CPS and representing you in court if needed at no extra cost to you. Go to teachthemdiligently.net forward slash heritage defense to join today. Again, that's teachthemdiligently.net forward slash heritage defense. And now, won't you welcome Dr. Rebecca Spencer to the podcast today? Hey, you guys, welcome back. I am really excited to be welcoming Dr. Rebecca Spencer back to the podcast. She has visited with us before, um, always has so much to share. And today we're actually going to be talking a lot about rethinking dyslexia. She's going to help you look at it in a different way, maybe go a little bit deeper and give you some really great ideas about how to help your children, probably from assessment all the way through. So, Rebecca, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, I am just so, so glad you're here. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do um, so that as we dive into the the meat of our discussion, people kind of have a little bit of context for who you are? Okay. So first and foremost, I am a mom that has a dyslexic learner. But in addition to that, I also um, taught at the college level pre-service teachers reading, how to teach reading more specifically. But nothing really taught me how to teach reading or diving into what I would call the science of reading, um, as did when I learned that my son was dyslexic. And so even though I had all of the education and wrote my dissertation in reading, nothing really helped me, um, like diving into it from a different approach uh, from having my own dyslexic child. And so this journey started seven years ago, and from there, I started taking classes in brain research and how the brain worked, and then I also started taking therapy classes and have become an academic language therapist so that I can actually help kids with any type of academic language struggles. Uh, That would include um, phonics or phonemic awareness, as well as fluency, comprehension, vocabulary, any struggles such as that. So um, really understanding the morphology and the orthography, how it all goes hand in hand, and then delivering therapy that actually really does work and 
if we know anything about dyslexia, we've probably heard it a million times that dyslexia can really be thought of as an island of weakness surrounded by a sea of strengths. And that's hmm. kind of some terms that are in the dyslexia world that are pretty common. But I also know just from a mother's standpoint that the strategies that really do work. And through that, we incorporate primitive reflex therapy. And we also do academic language therapy with horses bareback, which is called hippotherapy. And I meet with, I also do diagnosing now. So I can diagnose dyslexia and deliver a battery of assessments. A lot of times kids fall through the cracks whenever parents want them to be assessed in that it's very complex. It's so much more, we deliver an IQ test because dyslexic students do have a high IQ. But a lot of times the deviation that is mandated would be like a 1.5 standard deviation. So for me, I like to err on the side of caution. And so if I have a student that has more of like, say, a 2.5 standard deviation from their IQ to um, another battery of assessments that I deliver, then I'll go ahead and err on the side of caution and write an entire written report And the entire battery takes between four and six hours for testing to make sure it is thorough. It's a thorough examination, including behavioral and neurobiological. It includes the IQ assessment. It includes the CTOP. It includes several different assessments. And then we write the report and deliver the results um, for a 504 plan. Wow. And so those are some of the things we do. And also one of the things that's consuming a lot of time right now is delivering academic language therapy specifically with the, um, it's called the Scottish, it's it's through the Scottish Rite Hospital for Children in Dallas, and Mm -hmm. it is called the Take Flight Reading Program. And it is designed specifically for academic language therapists. So we've undergone 700 hours of clinicals and training in order to do deliver results for families and the workload is becoming um, pretty great because we have so many kids that need it. As many as one in five are dyslexic, which affects 20% of our population. That's amazing. And really it's just one, one out of maybe a hundred educators or teachers know how to address dyslexia. A lot of times what happens is programs or families, including myself, we just didn't know. So we would add more phonics. So phonics is great, but we really need to think about the five components of literacy. And we need to make sure that we're teaching our kids in a very systematic and explicit way. So they need that repetition. And in this program that we teach, our kids are going to get all of the phonemes and the graphemes and all of the letter clusters and sounds, everything will be taught between, they will, they will hear it between 500 and 1500 times repetitions. Huh. And it is literally repetition. Right. And so they do everything. We have a schedule that we keep and this is, and the kids usually keep this schedule. And so this is what our schedule looks like. We start with alphabet. And then whenever we get done with an alphabet, we move down to reading decks. And the kids literally move these down whenever it's time. And this lesson will take anywhere between a half hour to one hour. Okay? So we move through the entire schedule. So we have alphabet. We start with alphabet, reading decks, discovery, and linkages. 
We work on instant words. We code and read. So we teach our kids how to actually code because that's how we read. We have to code, then we can read. As natural readers, we are coding. We do it all the time. And so we're just teaching them how to actually make the connection to code so they can read. And then we do some rapid reading with the students and then spelling deck. And then we do phonemic awareness one and two spelling practice and review. And so that's what we do with our students. Um, some of the um, ways that we teach them is this is a sentence. A sentence begins with a capital letter. It ends with a punctuation mark. It has a subject, a predicate, expresses a complete thought. At a comma, you will pause. At a period, you will stop. At a question mark or exclamation mark, your voice will change. So they want, we want to make sure our kids see everything that's expected for, so, from them. So, so there's a lot of vision. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me let me kind of stop you because I want to make sure you you noted that like 20% of the students will struggle with dyslexia. Since that is such a massive overwhelming number, my assumption is that a lot of people don't know. They don't know that their child is suffering with dyslexia. So, before we go into any of this other stuff, would you tell us what is dyslexia and what does it look like? Like if I have a child, what am I going to look for that may trigger that I, I may want to have this child assessed? Okay. Very good question. So dyslexia is neurobiological in origin. It's actually a difference in how the brain functions. A myth would be that dyslexic kids get their B's and D's and P's and Q's mixed up, or they mix up numbers. So it's more than that, hmm. which is why it has been so misunderstood for so many years. It's actually neurobiological in origin. So that means that there is a difference in the brain. There was some, a hospital actually took some images. So that would be fMRI technology. They took images of a dyslexic brain and a non-dyslexic brain. In the dys non-dyslexic brain, the images revealed that in red, the different parts of the brain that were ignited during reading. Now at the same time, the fMRI technology noted the parts of the brain in the dyslexic brain that were uh, ignited or lit up during reading. The two looked different. Hmm. Now we have an area in our brain in the left occipital temporal is called the word form area. So you may have heard that um, since it's neurobiological in origin, you know, we have to make the connections. So we have to make sure we're firing up the dyslexic brain and turn on the lights. So studies reveal after therapy, such as the program that I'm sharing with you, after therapy, after 230 hours of therapy, then the student that had the dyslexic brain, the images actually changed so that those areas of the brain that were not lit prior to therapy, post-therapy, they were lit. Huh. So there is a way to help our dyslexic learners ignite the brain but it has to be systematic. It can't just be 
um, memorizing sight words or random curriculum. It has to be very explicit. It has to be very systematic and it has to have repetition. Our dyslexics can also become very overstimulated, which is why the program uses a lot of black and white. Um, I do add things to it to um, add a little bit more color, but you notice like my sentence strip is black and white. We do um, procedures. So our procedures for spelling, this is what our procedures look like. We look and listen, echo, name and write. For our spelling practice, we look and listen, we unblend, we pull down our sound pictures, we name and we write. So we have procedures for every single thing that we do to ensure accuracy and we correct very quickly. So if I have a student that's saying volleyball, I will quickly help that student mouth place, place the mouth in the correct way, which is why we have what we call lip pictures. And these, I just brought a few out for today, but um, which is why we include lip pictures with our students. And these are Linda Mood Bell lip pictures. Um, and we help our kids with mouth formations. So we would call this one a lip puffer and the lip puffer would be the B and the D. So the lip puffer has a voice sound and an unvoiced sound. And we would say, B, B, is that voiced or unvoiced? It's voiced. P, P, the letter P, 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 is it voiced or unvoiced? It's unvoiced. Then we have our tongue tapper. Our tongue tapper are the letters T and D. We would say T, T, unvoiced, and D, D, voiced. And then we have our lip chiller. Our lip chiller are the letters F and V. The letter F is going to say unvoiced, and the letter V is going to say voiced. Hmm. And then we have our smiley sound, and our smiley sound on my sound ship, my smiley sound is very smiley. So he's my letter E. It's my digraph. E, E says E, and he's the most smiley. So a lot of kids struggle with the E's and the I's. But with my sound ship, after we place our sounds, we have what we call a vowel valley. A lot of teachers are starting to incorporate vowel valley, which is really good. Um, but we need to make sure we're also incorporating the orthography of the word and how we can um, map the word. So our vowel valley would be like E, I, E, A, I, A, and then we have an open vowel sound. It says ah, and then our other, our last vowel sound is our round sound, and he says oo and uh. And so we teach our kids how to code, and it's a very systematic. For example, I have one group of kiddos that are um, further into the lessons. From when they started, we do progress monitoring. Now, progress monitoring happens after every book, and there are a total of seven books. From the first time we did a progress monitor, we had a student that was only able to get one out of ten. After the very first book, that same student was able to get seven out of ten. Wow. So the progress is... Um, the results say it all hmm. and the parents happiness and sigh of relief 
it says it all in addition to the students that feel confident because our dyslexics don't feel confident anyway. Right, right. Um, they're very reserved and nervous because if they mess up, um, that sticks with them and it kind of goes across the rest of their lives, whether that is in a youth group or whether that's in math class, or maybe that's just um, answering someone or being confident whenever they go to church you know, or out in the community. So um, it really sticks with them if they get criticized for something, like you're saying it incorrectly. But with this system, it is very, very much one-on-one. It is very much face-to-face. And it's very much building that relationship with that child and helping them every day. And then going back and reviewing what we just learned the next day. And it continues on and on and on until we get through all of the graphemes, all of the combinations, everything. And it take, and it, we, we get into where we learn the etymology of the word and where the words came from and the history of English and so on and so forth. And it makes huge meaning for them. Well, you mentioned there's about 230 hours of therapy. How long generally does that take to work through? Like if, if you are starting this with your child, how long you know, are you looking at to, to make it through 230 hours worth of therapy? Yes. Okay. So the hospital, I would show you a graph here. Here's the graph of what the hospital says. So the hospital likes for you to, if they, their hospital results say two years, um, there's 132 lessons, a total of 230 hours. Now for me, in my situation, I have kids that are homeschooled as well as public school that I work with on a daily basis. So for me, I have one hour, three days a week, I can work with those kids, but it has to be at least three days a week now in order to get through those. Gotcha. I am relying heavily on mom. I'm relying heavily on the teachers to take care of that comprehension component because I just cannot get to that component because the need is so great. So I'm relying heavily on mom to take care of comprehension. I work very closely with mothers and teachers to say, what is it that you're doing in your homeschool for comprehension so I can work with you and help in that way? Um, So that's what we do there. So, so you're looking at about two years um, for the entire completion of all seven books. Wow. Well, another question that I had as you were talking and early on, you you alluded to the, the I'm trying to think of what you called it, the hippotherapy. I wrote it down. I just had to look it up. So yes. you noted that that was yes. bareback yes. on horses. So you kind of told yeah. us a little bit about what it was. My question for you is why? What's the purpose of it? What do the children gain by utilizing yes. horses uh, within their therapy? Well, that's a really great question. So anybody can use this. So occupational therapists, physical therapists, speech and language pathologists, and academic language therapists, such as myself, use this method. And so it, we we really want to make sure that, um, the horse, some may not know this, but the horse can actually emulate movements of a human. So in just five minutes of um, sitting on the horse and the horse walking, that represents about 500 neuromotor inputs to the patient. So we need that for our dyslexic students um, so that they can actually get, yes, (laughs) 
so they can actually get their brain ignited and get going. Now, when it's combined with standard therapy, we can increase like the muscle strength. We can help with our primitive reflexes. That's another like podcast for another day. Um, but whenever dyslexic kids oftentimes don't have the primitive reflexes integrated. So that's a way that you can get those integrated because they're found at the base of the brainstem. And a lot of times that higher level learning, like reading, comprehension, all those things can't really happen until those are integrated because that word form area is found in the back of, um, it's found in the left occipital temporal. Um, but I don't want your um, viewers or your listeners to think that it's all in the word form area. It's actually, um, there was kind of a metaphor that was designed calling it the reading rope. And so they, they talked about it, uh, dyslexia being like that of um, a, a strand, like a, a strand of rope that was frayed. And those frays being the different components of um, literacy, meaning, you know, phonemic awareness and phonics and vocabulary and fluency and comprehension. And I want to add a sixth to it, meaning, you know, the ways that you can actually ignite the brain, right? So um, that self-regulation part too, because you have to be able to self-regulate in order to read and write and actually intake what's being taught. So um, adding that sixth component to it is also really, really important. And so we can help do that by incorporating hippotherapy. My husband's like, so you use hippos? And the answer is no. It's just this amazing, massive, <laughs> giant animal, gentle, gentle giant that can actually, my dad would always say, there's something about the outside of a horse that is good for the inside of a man. And I see that every day with these kids. When they're up on that horse, they feel confident. They feel like they can conquer the world. They feel wow. like anything that has happened at school that day, or maybe they had a bad day, it has left them when they're up there. And they feel confident. We work on breathing. We work on integrating primitive reflexes on the horse. We work on crossing over. For example, I have kids that will just like throw a ball into like one of our baskets while they're on the horse. We always have two. I'm on one side and I have a partner on the other side just to ensure safety. So gotcha. we make sure that we are together. And um, we'll have them throw balls. We'll also have them hold a bat and maybe try to bat at a ball. So we have like some different obstacles that we'll do. We'll also hold up um, like phonics cards and we'll be, um, say, 10 yards away from the student that's on the horse and hold the phonics card. And maybe it's digraph CH. And maybe we've learned that for the day. And they will be up there and so they'll say digraph CH, ch chair, um, something like that. So, um, we do, we do all of those with hippotherapy as well. So it builds confidence. It helps integrate primitive reflexes. It is igniting senses and it's getting the, um, the neurons fired up. Wow. Wow. So there's, there's so much at play during that time. It's, it's pretty incredible. Well, I know that you mentioned that part of what you're working on now is really equipping parents, equipping teachers, kind of training others to be more confident in working with their own children. What does that look like? Yes. So um, I've been doing just some different conferences and different workshops because it's a lot to chew. It's a lot to bite off and can be, feel very, very overwhelming. So I've been taking chunks, like in the schedule. 
I'll take an alphabet chunk in the schedule and I say, okay, we're going to have just an alphabet workshop and talk about what that looks like. And we'll, and we'll do that for an evening. Um, and then maybe I'll take another chunk and I'll say, okay, well, let's just look at phonemic awareness. Let's think about what phonemic awareness looks like. What are some myths that maybe you've heard about? What, what are some things that's, that are, are um, being taken care of in your own curriculum? And then how can we help you better understand what needs to be added to it? Um, so we'll take those chunks because, like I said, it is, it is massive. Um, and we don't want to overwhelm them. And it can be very, very overwhelming. Even as someone like myself, whenever I was doing this, I was very overwhelmed. So I can't imagine how overwhelmed some can be. And so the whole goal is just to take little bite-sized pieces because we want to make sure we're taking those little small baby steps to make small gains in progress. So I'm doing that. And then also I am teaching them as they come in. So I have parents actually sit with me. And whenever I teach kids online, I invite the parents to sit in because I want them to learn what we're doing. I've had one parent recently say, oh, I am doing a lot of this, but I'm not doing coding. I'm going to start adding coding. Hmm. So just even a little snippet, I know it's not, um, you know, not everybody can afford a therapist. Not everybody has the time or energy to get their kid to a therapist. But if there are a few things here and there that we can help them accomplish, we will do that. Now, something else that I'm working on is um, becoming a qualified instructor. So that's a few more hours I have left on that. We're all be able to invite uh, teachers and moms in. They need to have a bachelor's degree and they are invited to actually become a therapist. Hmm. Um, so they would go through the entire class. Um, they would actually be, um, you have to have a master's degree to actually be the therapist, but they could be the practitioner okay. and they could still deliver. And so, so they could take, they could come into the clinic and I would have all the materials for them. And um, we'll have a, it'd be a two week summer session and it would, and it requires eight o'clock until five o'clock the two weeks of summer. So it's a big commitment. Right. And then you get all of your materials and you start working with your kids right off of the bat. A lot of times what happens is moms will do that because they love it anyway. And then after their kids are through the program, they decide I want to take on another kid because I love this so much and I see the results and what is happening. That's usually what happens. Yeah. That's really exciting. And knowing that that parents can come in and get that certification. But I would say yes. even more than the certification, which is important, just the the knowledge that you even mentioned that some of the parents will say, well, I'm doing this already, but I need to add this. The confidence that comes from, from understanding the power of what you're already doing and then getting mm-hmm. the, the little nuggets, the little additional things that you need to start doing has to be just so empowering and comforting for parents. Yes, it is. Um, Because a lot of them will come, um, you know, they will have those pain points. They've tried everything. Um, Some of them even are in public school um, that have come to me and they've tried everything. They tried every intervention, but it wasn't until they came and observed or sat in on therapy where they were able to see, oh, this is the missing piece. Wow. Well, that is, that's really exciting that you guys are able to offer that. Um, we are, we are running out of time, but I want you to tell everybody where they can find you and, you know, anything that they would want to engage with initially when they do find you there. Okay. So you can go to my website 
cherishchildrenministries.org, and at the bottom of the page, there is a contact form. So a lot of parents will just submit a contact form and say, hey, I have a struggling kiddo with dyslexia. Can you help me? Where can I go for help? That's the first stop. The second stop would be there is a free mini video series on the web page. You just sign up for it and it will send you back an automated email that has some downloads for you to download. And I, there are four videos for you to watch to at least get started. Hmm. So you could start there. Those are a couple places you can start. Fantastic. And then from there, I'm sure it's pretty easy to wind through, uh, find the help that you need for your own specific family. Yes. Yes. Well, Dr. Spencer, thank you so much for taking the time to to be with us today. I'm going to make sure I link to all of those that you gave me some specific links. We'll give the link to your uh, website directly so that it's made really easy in the show notes for everyone to find you. Sure. Thank you, Leslie. Well, you're welcome. Everyone else, I am sure that this has been a help and an encouragement to you. Um, if you if you are suspicious or you wonder if perhaps your child is one of that 20%, why don't you reach out to Dr. Spencer now, uh, fill out that contact form, uh, get to know the services and the resources that they offer there, and then see how you can be equipped to help your child conquer, move on, be, be fully equipped to do what God has called him to do. I hope that uh, you will take advantage of that. Again, look for the, um, the links in the show notes for today's episode. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining us today. We believe that every family is called to teach them diligently. So we're here to help. We would love to get to know you this year at one of our four live Teach Them Diligently events. And then throughout the year, when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community, check out the notes from today's show for more details about what we discussed today, as well as all of these other resources that Teach Them Diligently has to offer. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.